Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks coming to you this morning, talking to you about cooperatives. Everything Cooperative is the name of the show. You know, on this great Thursday morning, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. But what we want to talk to you about this morning, given that this is Women's History Month, that we have a lady with us in the show, in the program this morning, Ajawa Ifateo who's going to talk to you about cooperatives. And this morning, the main subject is going to talk about how we can work together, how we can work together as Americans, how we can work together as black Americans to better each other. Good morning, Ajawa. Good morning, Vernon. How are you? <laughs> Great. Good. I had a little brain freeze on your name this morning. I knew that was going to happen. Often it happens. <laughs> <laughs> and Ajawa means the... Girl born on Monday. Girl born on Monday. And Ifateo? Love brings happiness, a Swahili word. Love brings happiness. Yes. Okay, love for each other can really bring a lot of happiness. Absolutely. Okay. A girl born on Thursday. Monday. On Monday, <laughs> who has love brings happiness. So how did you get involved in this co-op business? Well, you know, it's interesting. I have been an activist uh, most of my life, even starting from high school. And um, I went to... Southern New Hampshire University, after being involved, and I've kind of realized that we needed institutions, and just demonstrations were were not going to make a difference in the lives of black people. And so I learned about co-ops at the um, Southern New Hampshire University. So my my teacher, Chris Clamp, had mentioned to me about uh, Jessica Gordon Nemhart, which was a black woman who had uh, studied co-ops. And so I just turns out that Jessica lived 10 blocks from me in D.C. And so she invited me to the first conference of the Eastern Conference of Workplace Democracy. So I went there, and I learned about co-ops from there. And at the same time, my friends Linda Leakes and Patricia Kent were organizing uh, a black housing cooperative. And so as it turned out, I went to that, that, that Eastern Conference on one day, and then I went for the brown, uh, groundbreaking for the Ella J. O. Baker Intentional Community Cooperative. And from that conference, I was so excited uh, about the idea of poor people, or uh, any people actually, because co-ops, co-ops can appeal to doctors, lawyers, cab drivers, uh, unskilled laborers, any and everybody. But um, the idea that an average person can go into business with someone else and make a difference in their own lives really appealed to me. And so, you know, a couple of friends and I, Nikenji Torre was one of them, Shep Sara, we got together, we met for a year to try to set up our own cooperative. But as it turned out, money was the thing. And money generally kills most streams. They down the bound because of lack of money. Well, you know, you mentioned a lot right here in this opening, and Jessica Gordon Nimhart has been on the program. Yes, and I just she's fascinating. Her book, uh, Collective Carriage, right? Collective, collective is what we're talking about today. How we work and work together. But one of the things that came out of that book, she said, well, a couple of things came out of that book. One was that this is a hidden history. It's in this, this history has a lot of breadth and depth to it of blacks' involvement in co-ops throughout uh, our history here in the U.S. So, you know, blacks have, well, not only in the U.S., but in Africa, uh, working cooperatively. And the other one was there has been uh, a lot of black women in the cooperative movement. Yes. Uh, It looks like from her book, I would say a lot, if not most of the advancements in cooperative involvement has been with black women. Yes. One of my favorite is Nanny Nanny, uh, Helen Burroughs, who we have a street named after here in D.C., and uh, a lot of us don't know that history, but she uh, started a school. 
She started a factory, a broom factory, and was getting orders from around the country, Baltimore, people coming to buy her brooms as a way of supporting each other. And then she had a farm in Maryland, and she brought produce back to D.C. to sell. And so, you know, my idea, I would just love for us to do a, a, a Nanny Helen Burroughs Society where we study everything about her and, and uh, really understand who she was. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been our way of survival in this country. Du Bois talked about co-ops and how we needed to organize them way back. Uh, Garvey, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Ella Jo Baker, they were all uh, co-op advocates and... Um, you know, the hidden history is that we would not have survived without cooperatives in this country. And it's so ironic that today we kind of think of co-ops as a white hippie thing when it was hmm. a black survival thing from the get-go. <laughs> and we've forgotten that history and uh, we kind of, you know, poo-poo co-ops. Some people think it's impossible for us to get together and work together and do business together. Well, I had a great conversation with my uh, 10-year-old granddaughter this mm-hmm. on Monday. And uh, she had been taught in school that uh, about George Washington. And she said that George Washington was married and had two kids. And I said, well, did he have any slaves? She said, no. And I said, no. I said, why not? She said, well, they didn't teach her that. And I, and I said, well, do you really know if he did or didn't just because they didn't teach you? And... Uh, we Googled it, and it found out that he had slaves as early as 11 years old. He was, When his father died, he inherited 10 or 12 slaves. I don't remember the number. And when he died, he had 365 or something. So she said, well, why do they call it history if they don't give you all the facts? <laughs> we had a great conversation. And I broke down his story, his story. And so it depends on who's writing the history. And so when, when Jessica Gordon Nimhard said that this is a lost history, it's a loss. We don't have this story about blacks and co-ops and blacks working collectively, bringing it from Western Africa and Southern Africa, this whole feeling of co-ops, and maybe all of Africa. I don't know, but from the people I've had on this program, I've gotten a story of our history, and we're very much collected, very much working together. And I, I did tell my granddaughter that you've got to do your own research. Absolutely. And that's the same applies to us today. Yes. There's all kinds of history we have no clue about. And so we have to re, uh, refine that history and help it to inform our work today. Well, that's what Jessica's done, which is great. And I got onto this another guy. It's a white guy, British guy, is writing another book on the influence of cooperatives on the civil rights movement. Yes. Okay. And and so I've had him on. David Thompson is his name. I've had him on twice. Uh, I knew about him before I knew about Jessica. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's been on, and he's really, when you talk about uh, Marcus Garvey, uh, Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. W.B. Du Bois, so many different people. And I've also been told, and I've been trying to get a songwriter on the program, Belafonte. Oh, was he involved Actor. in The story that David told me, and I've been trying to get it verified, and I, I have talked to one of the persons on his staff to try to get him on the program, that that Harry Belafonte was denied uh, getting renting a unit in New York. Mm-hmm. So he sent his agent in mm-hmm. who got, got the application. Belafonte filled it out. The agent took it back, and he was approved. <laughs> the agent was approved with Harry Belafonte's name. And before they knew anything about it, Harry Belafonte had moved into the building. The building was later up for sale. Harry Belafonte bought it mm-hmm. and made it into a co-op. Wow. That's what the story is. That now, is if that's true or not. Story. Okay. Yeah. And I would love to have him on the show to tell the story. Absolutely. Um, and it's like I was also to who was one of the first persons. It was some artists who were also in that co-op, were bought into that co-op. Mm-hmm. So it is a Absolutely fantastic story. And, and didn't he <clears throat> also tell a story about Thurgood Marshall having to uh, uh, rent a co-op? Or he was able to rent a co-op when he was denied housing, too. Well, so he, it was the co-op that saved him. Uh, he had married a Filipino lady, mm-hmm. it's my understanding of this history. Mm-hmm. And he, would not, he couldn't get into housing, so he went into a co-op. But he also understood, I think, he also had worked in a co-op, I think delivering groceries early on because... Struggling lawyers didn't make any money either. Mm-hmm. So that's how he augmented his money was by working in a co-op. So he lived in a co-op, 
worked in a co-op, and very much involved in co-ops in this whole collective, all the way through the civil rights movement of um, people living at Penn South. Mm-hmm. Penn South Cooperative seemed to have been the headquarters for the civil rights movement, where they had meetings and stuff, and even the March on Washington, all yeah. of that sort of, it, it seemed like from as I have been told the history, that people would meet at Penn South to plan for the March on Washington. Interesting. So the, the, this whole co-op world, oh, the Highlander School. The, the Highlander School uh, in Tennessee is where Rosa Parks and a lot of people went to study about what it meant to be, what are your civil rights? What are your rights as an American citizen? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so as they studied civil rights, uh, then they were able to then stand up okay, for rights or sit down for rights, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But they knew their rights. And so this Highlander School, and I have threatened to go there. I think they have moved, but um, uh, either South Carolina or North Carolina. But there's a, just a tremendous history. And as I was telling my granddaughter, you've got to do your own study. You just can't take what somebody else writes as history. Right. Okay, and decide that that's the facts and you got all the facts. She was She was – Beside herself, she said, well, if they call it history, why don't they tell us all of it? I, said, okay. I love it. It's so good that she got that lesson early. Early. <laughs> so now she can look and find the real story or the whole story. You know, and this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank because they're wanting you to have the information that you need so that you can either look for a co-op, if you want a housing co-op, or if you want to look at for grocery co-ops, if you want to uh, look to see how you can help some people that have come together to form a business if you that, that you can go look for these different co-ops to become a part of them. Or if there's a group of you that want to get together and form your own housing co-op, as Ajawa and her friends did with the Ella Jo, Ella jo, Ella jo Baker Intentional Community, they formed this community and they have their own co-op and they define how who is who is going to be in it and how it's going to work when their bylaws that you can get the skills and the tools that you need, the information that you need. As WOL says, information is power, and that information is power only when you use it. So if you if you get information, like I was trying to tell my granddaughter, you get the history, you get the information how you start a co-op, how you can get into a co-op, how you can work together to form a business, then you can have power. You know, we've got to take a break to go to news and the weather as this life life journey has as, that you have done, is there any kind of one message you want to make sure people get today? Yes, that we need to change our thinking. We, as you mentioned, we don't get the full story, so we don't really know our power. We are so individualistic, but um, the the nature is cooperative. We cooperate in sports and other things, and we need to learn to cooperate in all aspects of our lives. And so that's an issue um, with us, so we need to really learn how to do that. Well, that cooperation is what this program is all about, and I'm finding that it's a lady, the first week that we, we talked, the first week that we had this program a year and a half ago said that I asked her, why aren't there more co-ops, and she said it's hard work. It's hard work working together, particularly since our mindset is for individualism. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News updates on the web at woldcnews.com. Welcome back, everybody. Information is power. And Ajua Ifateo is our guest today, and she's given us information on this black I'm sorry, this Women's History Month. Uh, I'm still talking about uh, Black History Month from last month. Mm-hmm. We, we have her on to talk about um, cooperatives. And when we left before the break, we were talking about how collectivism, how we have to change our mindset. You know, that change of mindset is, is not easy to do. Uh, in my, my day job, I am a property manager, and I got involved with co-ops, with housing co-ops and managing them. And what I noticed was that 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 a housing co-op, affordable housing co-op, they work much better than affordable housing apartment buildings. But the big thing that has to change is a, a, it, the tenants would have to change their tenant mentality 
into a homeowner mentality. And once that change happened, then the co-ops worked much, much better in every aspect that you can think of. From the way it was run to day-to-day running of the co-op to less crime. Or anything that you can think of, all of the measures said that housing co-ops work function much better than. And that's what we want to talk about, getting people to change from individualism the John Waynes, the Lone Ranger. If you look at any of those movies with John Wayne in them, there was a whole bunch of people. If he was, a, if he was a, the captain of some command, there was all of these people under him. But then we, we mentioned the individualism, and that's what I grew up understanding, and not we working together. Right. And so that's what you said you wanted people to talk about. Well, how did you come to this idea since you grew up in America, too, and South Florida, did you say? South Florida. And see, the South is so much different than, than here, even though people think this is the North. It's still Southern. But um, we looked after each other. We spoke to each other. Uh, my grandmother used to uh, save clothes and dishes and help new families get started in Hollandale, the city that I'm from. And so the whole um, way I grew up was looking out for other people. And... Um, and so it's not really new. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you understand, and being an activist, you understand that somebody has to do something to change the world. And so I was involved in that, um, doing a lot of activist work. And so co-ops was just another extension. It was a way to economically organize, to make a difference in black people's lives, their, their economic situation. So that's what attracted me to it. And interestingly, when I, you know, I was at the first conference at the University of Maryland, that NCBA, the National Corporate Business Association, and uh, the University of Maryland's Democracy Collaborative helped to organize. And, and then the next year, in 2003, they had a meeting in, um, I believe it was Amherst, Mass. And at that meeting, I was just going to the meeting because I was so excited about co-ops. But at that meeting, I got chosen, but I was voted on the board. And I was like, I don't really understand co-ops that well. But they had the consciousness then to understand that they needed women and uh, people of color uh, involved in cooperatives. And so I fit the bill, and they voted me in. There was a little, um, you know, some some people didn't like it. Uh, there was a guy who actually really wanted to be on the board, white guy, in a solar co-op. And he, he didn't make it, and so he was a little disgruntled. And people were telling me, don't worry about it because we voted you in. Mm-hmm. And that's been a, a great experience. I mean, from there, I, I worked on, I became uh, a member of the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, which started uh, the first conference in uh, Minneapolis in 2004 to organize worker co-ops around the country. So I was on that board for like seven years I was on the Eastern Conference for Workplace Democracy for like nine years and um, did a lot, worked with a, a group called um, Democracy at Work uh, Collaborative um, 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 and um, trained to, in co-op development. I did work with um, um, Ujamaq uh, Collective, a group of women in Pittsburgh who have an African-American boutique and do some other cooperative work. And I uh, got involved with grassroots economic organizing. Since I was a journalist, I, I worked with the Miami Herald and um, Los Angeles Times and the Allentown Morning Call. I was drawn to writing. And so at, at GEO, I did writing about cooperatives and uh, other uh, activities of uh, black people, economic alternative activities. And so it's just been a labor of love. At that conference, I heard um, which which conference the the conference at University of Maryland, where the first Eastern um, Conference for Workplace Democracy, first uh, cooperative conference on this side of the country, uh, took two thousand two two thousand two. Gar Aparovich uh, spoke, and at that point, he said that we had to build the foundation. The work that we were doing was very important, and we had to build the foundation for the next generation. And so that really stuck with me. And he said it's a lifetime commitment. And so I took that to heart. And so I started learning all I could about co-ops. I, I was the one of the only black people involved. In fact, Jessica Gordon-Nemhart and I were the two black people in that whole movement. 
And it was so ironic because, you know, black when we would talk to black people about it, they, they just thought this was a foreign idea. And so we talked about her book. She was writing her book then. And, and I used to tell her, boy, this book is going to be so needed because it's going to talk about all this history and we could change people's minds about, um, you know, the origins of co-ops. You know, black people were right there in the beginning and did a lot of um, great work in this country about co-ops. And so, you know, and then I lived in uh, Ella Jo Baker Intentional Community. And that was another experience that was really exciting. Well, let's, we, I want to go back to that, uh, your, your housing. You know, but the grassroots economic organizing, GEO is what you call it. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, does that, or, what does that organization do? And do you write for their newsletter? Yes, I'm a co-editor. We all get, we run it as a collective. It's a volunteer organization. We don't get paid. We come together. We write articles. Uh, we, you know, scan the world for news that uh, relates to cooperatives and other economic alternatives, such as bartering, um, timeshare, you know, where you, you do some work for someone and then they do work for you. You don't necessarily have to exchange money. And some of them do have money, that, like Anacostia dollars. And in Baltimore, they have some alternative currency. Um, so there are, uh, you know, different uh, things that people are doing that um, help people to survive without money necessarily, but getting people together to provide services. And, um, and so we just make, we, and we organize a conference. We're organizing a conference in July in Worcester, Mass., uh, on regional cooperative economic solidarity organizing. And so that's one of the things we do. We make it possible for people to, to understand what's going on in the cooperative world. I know. I just wish you could come with smaller names. Regional cooperative uh, solidarity. Organizing. Organizing. And so we solidarity organizing is just the thing that we used to do. You know, we kept each other's children uh, when somebody had to work or fed the children or, um, you know, got together and build houses. My uncles used to build houses, so the, all the neighbors would get together and help build the house. Um, these are the things that we did to survive in this country. And so those are the kinds of things that people now call in solidarity economy, you know, bartering, working um, for just, you know, volunteer to help somebody, to uh, have loans that are, have low interest or uh, no interest but doing things to help people in this economy. Solidarity. I, I had taken away that that meant solid. We're solid together. Well, that's another way of looking at it. Okay. We're definitely solid together. It takes people. Working to together, an uh, economy where we're working together to support each other. Right. And that is what I consider cooperatives are. Yes. People coming together, working together. And what, what drew me to this cooperative for really liking this model versus the capitalistic model was that when you talked earlier about everyday people and these affordable housing communities, it's everyday people. Sometimes people did not at best had a high school education. Right. And when they made decisions, they made decisions on what's best for the group, what's mm -hmm. best for the community, not necessarily what's best for one individual or the other. And I also noticed that if there was an organization, a cooperative housing cooper, uh, organization, where people were making decisions for an individual, like if there was somebody on the board that they may decide to give their mom who lived in a co-op a right. new refrigerator or a new carpet, once that started happening, then you would find that the co-op would start going down. Right, it's demoralizing. It demoralizing. There was once there was no integrity. Then that would be the cause of why co-ops would go down. And what I've also found out that when you look at the HUD-sponsored co-ops and the HUD-sponsored apartment buildings, that again the numbers for the HUD-sponsored uh, co-ops were much better. A lot less defaults, mm -hmm. uh, delinquents, a lot less uh, people paid. Also, rent was cheaper because oh, yeah. it did not have the the capital, the the need for profit, and people took better care of their units. Right, because it's so, theirs. It's theirs. Right. Yeah. Everything sort of uh, worked. So this this whole co-op, uh, solidarity or cooperation, uh, all of this sort of works when people, and it's amazing, like you said, in South, I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, and it was the same thing. 
that people just helped each other. It's just, it, 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 the, in the community, in that community I grew up with black and whites. Mm -hmm. It was not just a black community, and it was the same thing. I didn't get used to, I didn't even know anything about uh, racism until we went to school. Wow. Okay, because the blacks went to the black school, and the whites went to the white school, and then the whites started acting funny, mm -hmm. where they didn't before. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have to take a break for news and the weather and traffic. Uh, I'm having a wonderful conversation, hoping you're getting uh, some information that would cause you to have power, uh, to have control over your life. Uh, and we'll be right back to continue this conversation. News updates on the web at woldcnews.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Everything Cooperative. Ajawa Ifateo Teo is our guest this morning, uh, talking about collectivism, solidarity, working together. Uh, you know, I was at the Greenbelt uh, Housing Co-op. It's a 1,600-unit housing co-op here in Greenbelt, Maryland. And there was a plaque on the wall that said that cooperatives gives people the tools to control their own destiny. And I like that, that stuck out at me, Ajawa, uh, it's sort of, and I, I start asking the question, what are the tools? And it takes me to the fifth principle of the modern cooperative, and that is information, training, education. Those are the tools that you get when you join a cooperative. And Ajawa has already talked about her, her path in getting elected to a board and learning and then just trying to get as much information as she could about cooperatives and working together. And what she's come up with is that we can uh, control our lives. We can control our destinies if we work together, which is part of her experience growing up in Florida and watching her grandmother save for new families, part of my experience growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia, where there was community. Uh, and I've talked about this, Ajawa, that if I did something out in the street and a neighbor caught me, at least if I didn't get a spanking, I would at least be told and they would call my mom. And back then it would not telephone. Right. So she would holler. <laughs> Lori Ellen, mm -hmm. <laughs> Bernard's done X, Y, Z. And I would get it when I got home and i get it in the street. So there was always I. There's this community raising children. It takes a village to raise a child. Cooperating. Yeah, cooperative, mm -hmm. working together. Mm -hmm. The Underground Railroad was a cooperative. Absolutely. People uh, pooling together their resources for a common good. And there was another guy on the program, um, Papa Sin from Senegal, and he said that uh, co-ops are de developed to... Uh, solve some community problem. Right. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a cooperative. Right. And so this community problem of slavery, so people band together in a cooperative called the Underground Railroad, mm -hmm. and they help people to move out of slavery uh, to the north or to Canada or to somewhere, uh, maybe even to an Indian reservation. Mm -hmm. But they got out of slavery, and it's people working together. So this is what cooperatives do, and if you really have something that you're trying to do. I've had a couple of people call in. Oh, by the way, if you want to call in, if you have a question of myself or Ajawai, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. And we've had people to call in at 1-800-450-7876, and they're starting their business in two or three people or three or four or five people getting together and using each other's skills to help run a business and what uh, Jessica Gordon-Nimhard found was that there's less failures right? because people are working together and they bring more skill sets. Right. So there's less failures in co-ops, whether it's housing or worker co-op. Right. You have that sense of ownership. This is mine. I'm working to build this. I'm not making somebody else rich. I'm making myself rich or I'm able to survive. So that's the key difference. And I've had some, some people in, in the cooperative world really, they frown upon this whole thing of profit or rich because they, they, this, the other motives of concern for community, which is the seventh principle, is a bigger sort of reason for being cooperative. But there's also you need to make a profit in order to survive or grow. Absolutely. So I, I think profit is fine. It, that profit doesn't have to be insane profits where you're right. multi-billionaires or something. Um, but it can't. you have to make enough money to pay your expenses and to grow the business and perhaps give dividends. A living wage. A living wage. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that people can survive out here. There's some. There was a co-op, a construction cooperative in Boston, 
um, their work, they were playing, paying pretty good. This was like in 2003, $70,000. But uh, it was really hard for um, their workers to, to afford housing uh, in Boston. So they were considering trying to build housing for their workers. So, you know, you got to pay so that people can survive in whatever area that they're um, yep. living. And you got to make money to do that, make a profit to do mm-hmm. that. So I'm all for the profit motive. And I was, I think it was just last week, uh, telling I like to make money. And the gentleman was saying that too often greed gets in the way to cause people to make poor decisions. Right. But I think if, you're, if your motive is lines itself with what's best for the community, right. then making money is, is good. It's when your motive is, uh, I just need more, I need more, I need more, I need right, more. Right, because I want to buy my 10th car or, you know, second Ten, house. 10th plane. Right, yeah. exactly. And as long as people, the other thing about cooperatives is is that people uh, come together and make the decision. It's not just one person at the top making all the decisions for everybody. People who are involved are making these decisions, and they're based on what they're doing. They, You know, they know their job. And so they can contribute to it. And so you have less chance of failure because everybody is putting their position out there. Now, it takes work because, you know, you have differences of opinions. And, you know, education is key here so that people really understand the mission and, and why we're doing stuff. You know, we're going to make money, but we're not, you know, trying to make a whole lot of money to exploit people. Well, Oaks Management is a company I started 22 years ago or so. And a property management company. Mm-hmm. And so for 22 years, I've been making the decisions. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're going through this process of making it a worker co-op. Excellent. So we're, we're in this conversion process. And what I found very interesting is that the, the people that the employees uh, are so used to me making the decisions. Yes. It's extremely hard for them to, to get into yes. the conversation a lot of to us say, are afraid of that kind of power. Well, and, and the responsibility. And responsibility, yeah. Do I, do I make the right decision? What happens, what happens, what happens, what happens? And it's also hard for me because I'm wanting to say, oh, do this, do this. This is how right. we got to do it. You have to get out of that habit. I've been doing it for 30 years. Right. Okay, right. even before this and different, different organizations where I've been a, a manager or leader or something. And so it does take this, you talked about it earlier, this change, this attitudinal change, both from the individual to collective or cooperative Mm -hmm. decision-making. And it it just won't happen. And a gentleman from Don, um, I found through the U.S. Workers, you you mentioned the name earlier. U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Yes, U.S. Mm -hmm. Federation of Worker Cooperatives is helping us. Mm -hmm. And he said it would take six months to a year, and I'm going, he said it could take longer. And originally I'm thinking, oh, we can do this in six months or three. (laughs) (laughs) I've just found out no because it's attitudinal change. Right, and it's ingrained. You know, talking about Women's History Month, you know, women, we're we're taught to be subservient to men or to believe men are smarter than us. And as black people, no, you're not. <laughs> I'll just let you guys think that. <laughs> but the same thing happens with black people and white people. We, we're, we're taught that um, they're superior and we're inferior. And so sometimes we have to coax people into coming out of their shell and, and understanding that they have information, they have power, they have um, you know knowledge that they can use and that they've been doing all their lives. You know, We've been running families. All of us. That's why I say co-ops is not that diff- different from growing up in a family. You have to respect other people's needs and wishes in a family. And so it's the same thing with co-ops. You, you let people talk. You let see who's the best. Somebody might be the best at uh, paying the bills. Somebody may be the best cook. Somebody may do the lawn well. And so you let whoever does the job best do that job. And respect their opinions when they say, no, I've been doing it like this for 10 years, and it's better to do it this way. You know, you just hit upon a lot of uh, stereotypes and biases. You know, you got the gender, male versus female. You have uh, race, uh, black versus white. You got so, so many different biases, old versus young. Yes. And um, so, you know, blonde, blue eyes versus all the rest Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you got so many biases that sort of when you come together 
and you say, we want to work cooperatively. We want everybody to have the same voice to, so that everybody can be heard. And then we take a vote. Right. And whatever the ma majority decide, then that's the way we're going to go. Well, sometimes. Sometimes you, uh, you want to let the, the minority or those who are opposing um, uh, have a say-so. Sometimes you may uh, compromise. You know, say, okay, what is the worst thing that, could, that you're concerned about? And so you work around that and so that you don't have that minority later sabotaging the rule of the majority. So you want to uh, hear what they're saying and address their concerns so that, you know, later on they won't feel like they have to do something that's going to destroy the organization. That's fascinating that you'd bring that up because it's like, again, what is best for the community? And we don't always do that. We know what's best for the whole, but sometimes our selfishness takes over. Like you say, I want to give my mother uh, a unit or or um, uh, carpet or refrigerator or whatever. Right. It and you know that's not the best thing for the, the community. It's going to destroy morale, which would eventually destroy the the, the, uh, the organization. And yeah. so you want to have principles and transparency so that. Everybody knows what's supposed to happen, and when it doesn't happen, everybody has a right to bring this to the table without being uh, ostracized in any way. So that's that takes work because we've been taught all our lives to look out for ourselves only. Uh, you know, teachers tell us, "I got mine. You better get yours." Um, you know, you know, is there nothing wrong with being um, an individual in the sense of you want to shine and you know be creative and be yourself, but uh, learning to work with somebody else like you had to do in your family. You didn't go to college by yourself. Your, your parents or a student loan or a scholarship or something got you there. And so you have to learn to work with people no matter how brilliant, uh, creative you are. And so those things take, uh, and then I internalized oppression. We have to learn to get out of that. Oppression? Oppression. We, uh, I like to say internalized racism. We uh, accept and adopt the way that the racist society looks at us. And so we may think, oh, because I didn't go to college, I can't run a business. Or because I'm black, I, I, I'm not going to be good in business. Or I can't write because I'm black. Uh, or um, even a man, you know, because I'm a man, I can't raise children or I can't, you know, do certain things. We all have these uh, perceptions that we've internalized. We're not just perceptions. This is what society teaches us. And so we adopt them, you know. And so uh, even though you may be a woman and you might be a better speaker than a man, you sit back because that's what men are supposed to do. You know, I mean, I've been in many cars with men lost. I remember my uncle had us riding around New York for six hours. He was lost, but he would not stop and get directions. I never forgot that. I was a kid. Mm. <laughs> I'm never going to let a man <laughs> do that to me again. But, you know, he, he, as a man, he felt like he couldn't uh, ask for help. So we have all these things that we've learned that we have to unlearn, and that's what takes the time in a co-op, and that's hard work. And I always say co-ops are not for everybody because some people never want to do that. They don't want anybody um, questioning them. They don't want to be transparent. And they don't want to hold that. That's a lot of responsibility, and you have to be held accountable. Yes. And so a lot of people are not used to be held accountable. They don't want to be held accountable. Right. Uh, they cannot stand to be held accountable, and so they don't want that responsibility. So co-ops right. are not for everybody. They're I not. totally agree. They're not. Um, Only, I always say it's for the hungry people. Those people out here who can't find affordable housing will get together with, you know, three or six of, of your friends or neighbors and family. you got to be careful with that, too, because you don't always get along with family. And put your money together and buy a building. That's the community. There's a community need. Yeah. You, you call it hungry. If there's a need. Yeah, there's a need. Then or if you're hungry in whatever sense of hunger there might be that that need creates, mm -hmm. then get together the group and create your, your co-op. I want to come back. You said earlier that it was a co-op that um, you were into that did not work because there wasn't enough money. Because yes. it wasn't Ella Jo Baker right. cooperative. It's some other. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And, okay. and it's capital versus cooperative. And we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. If you have any questions or comments, call 1-800-450-7876. Don't touch that dial. 
News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. is power. That's why NCB is sponsoring this program to give you information about cooperatives so that you have the power to control your own destiny. NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis, special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And that's most of African-American communities, uh, uh, Latin brown folks communities, you get a lot of people in the minorities that live in economically challenged communities, and National Co-op Bank was created by Congress to bring financial services to the people in these low-income communities. And, uh, Ajua, you said earlier that you were helping to form a co-op that did not make it because of of capital. They didn't have capital. What kind of co-op was that that you were trying to form? We, when I was at the conference in at University of Maryland um, on uh, co-ops, two thousand two, two thousand two. Okay, there was a group called Collective Copies, and they were a copy shop. And uh, I was really struck by that idea because that was a, it looked like an easy business to get into, um, just setting up a copy shop. And so there was a guy at the corner of Georgia and Harvard. I can't remember his name, but he had a shop there, and he was selling that shop. And so uh, three other uh, friends and I got together, and we were going to get that shop um, and start a copy, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, like a franchise of collective copies. Well, as it turned out, we, didn't, we couldn't get the money to actually buy it outright. Um, I, I believe I, I think we did try NCBA, but uh, NCB, but um, I think they wanted us to take out more money, and um, we didn't want to take out a whole lot of money, and um, and we we needed somebody to to like quit their job and work in the store, but there was really no guarantee that we would be able to you know make enough money in that first year. So when you start a co-op, you do need money and a line of credit. Because the business is not going to get off the ground for a year, generally. You, you give yourself, you know, a year. And then it may not even get in the red for another two years. So, you know, generally it's three years before. It may not get out of the red. may still have a negative. Okay. Right, right. Get generally it takes three years to start making some money. And so, you know, besides your bills, you're covering your costs. But, you know, making money. <laughs> so you went to National Cooperative Bank. <clears throat> for a loan to buy this business, and they wanted you to take out more money than you were asking for? Well, I believe for? the minimum was like 150000 or something, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to take out that that much money. Um, and, you know, I think we only had two people who had, like, really good credit. Okay. Yeah, and so we were being conservative there. But I do believe there's a limit. Now, if you have a large... Uh, co-op or something where you have good credit and, you know, um, uh, some money. You need some money to actually borrow money. I think you they, they would be okay with something like that. And I know they help a lot of food stores. So, and I'm sure, you know, and that was a long time ago. That was like 2002. I'm not sure what they're doing now. It might be a whole different process. Well, what I have found is that uh, what you're talking about in the capital needs, and this is why the there is this capital, capitalism, and cooperative, and they're almost like uh, at opposite opposite ends because the capitalists, they want to make money off of their capital, and the cooperative are more interested in the employees, uh, the product, the community, uh, and environment. So you have different needs, but they, to me, they have to learn how to work together because you do need capital, as you said, and NCB is in a very interesting a quandary because most banks are interested in two things. Uh, they're really three. They're interested in getting their money back. Right. They're interested in getting interest on their money, and they're interested in getting their money back. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. They, that's why sometimes when we when I first started looking at buying a business, it is 
you'd only go to a bank to borrow money if you didn't need their money because you already right. had money. Right. You needed money, like you said, and mm -hmm. you need good credit. Mm -hmm. There are certain things you have to have in order for a bank to loan you money. But NCB was de designed to loan money in low-income communities. And in low-income communities, most people don't have money. They don't have capital. Our whole system of helping low-income people is not to help them create assets. Right. It's to help them survive. Welfare does not help you get assets. Right. Food stamps don't help you to get assets. Uh, if, you, if you get a, an apartment in a low-income apartment building, there's no way for you to build assets. Right. Okay, but in the co-op world, if you're in an a, affordable housing co-op, you can get, you can build wealth. Mm -hmm. Okay, it may, it's not a lot of wealth. Right. Okay, but you end up getting interest off your money and you get, there's a lot of different ways of, of creating wealth in a low-income cooperative housing co-op and also in, in other, in other co-ops. So NCB has to be able to loan money to people that don't have a lot of capital and may not have very good uh, credit. Yeah, but they want their money back too. What you can't survive unless you get your money back. <laughs> exactly. You can't survive it. unless you get interest. You got to make money. That we right. talked about that earlier. Right. But you, there's a juggling piece for them that because that's their mission. Right. So and, they're they're trying to find a way. Right. Okay. And so there's uh, cooperative. And, and, and they're more open to helping low-income people or people with uh, bad credit to find a way to get the money. That's right. And to be able to pay it back. Like they might help with training and uh, technical assistance, is, yeah. all kinds of technical assistance. Whereas a, another bank is not going to, first of all, give you the money, period. And then if you're a co-op business, they don't understand that model. So they're, they're not too willing to uh, lend to you. Right. So they don't understand who's going to pay the money back. You know, you got 10 people. Which one of you guys going to pay the money back? And the training is so, 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 so critical. And it may be like, one year, two year, three, five years for people getting training. Actually, it should be ongoing. Yes. Because issues come up all the time. Absolutely. I have a 16-unit senior housing cooperative. Mm -hmm. uh, housing Counseling Services trained them for a year, okay, after, after they got started. MANA, which is the developer of low-income housing here, developed it. And, and Housing Counseling Services came in and did a training. And then at least once or twice a year, they would come back. Now, they've been in, in existence for about 12 years. Every now and then we'll talk about the new people getting training because yes. new people come in. Absolutely. Uh, and seniors, unfortunately, die or they move to living where they need more help. And so we've had, I guess it's a 16-unit property. I would say eight people have moved out in the 12, 13 years that it's been in existence for one way, reason or another. And so this training is ongoing. As a matter of fact, Papa Sin, who I talked to you about earlier, said training should happen at every meeting. Yeah, that's how we did it in Ella Jo Baker. Yeah, every just meeting. a minimum of fifteen minutes. Right. I mean, sometimes longer, but every meeting. And there's a, a piece I've learned about the grocery co-ops is that the people that become members are on the board of a, a grocery co-op. If you're going to come on the board, you have to have a financial literacy uh, test and pass it. So you have to be trained because one of the things about uh, being on a co-op is. Uh, that talk about making informed decisions and when you vote is with data, with information. Right. So you have to learn how to digest that information and the financial numbers, the profit and loss statement, the balance sheet. I remember when I was first asked to do a budget, I was scared to death. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I was running the African-American Studies Department at San Diego State University at 23, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And... I was teaching math in the African-American. That's a whole other subject. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to do a budget and scared. Now it's like um, brushing your teeth, right. a budget. I mean, it's, you balance your household. It's the same thing. Oh, yeah, but I didn't know what a budget was. And right. It's, it's, yeah, it's right. And that's how a lot of people in co-ops are. But yeah. if you tell them, look, you, you run your checkbook, well, you, you get, run your household, once you, get trained, you run a business. I tell another grandson is that he tells me his work is hard at school. And I say, well, it's always hard until you know. Once you learn it, it somehow becomes easy. Yes, it <laughs> becomes easy. So, uh, uh, this is why the training is so important, and this is one of the things that NCB does: is try to get the technical support, the training that is needed to run a business. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to seen that if you all could have bought that business on yeah. the corner of Georgia Avenue and Harvard. That's right at Howard. No, yeah. oh, down from Howard, down close. From, yeah, close, close to Howard. Right, it would have been perfect. You know, a yeah. coffee shop, mail center. You know. Office supply place, you know, 
I forget the name. It was a black man who owned it. And, um, yeah, we just couldn't get the money to, to do that. Um, and it does some businesses the first year they can make a profit or break even. It would be great if you could have broken even where people would have been paid their salary if somebody would have had to left their job. Mm -hmm. But the other part of a business is that there is no guarantee and it's a risk. Yeah. Every business is a risk. Right. And that's why most businesses fail in the first five years. Mm -hmm. Um, My business has not strived at all. One of the reasons is because I make too many decisions from the heart and not from the pocketbook. Yeah. Okay. Well, you have to have that balance. You have to have the balance. Mm but it has survived for 22 years, and so I feel very, very good about that because most businesses fail in five years. Right. Okay. Uh, but a co-op business, is, they last longer because the people are working together. So it would have been great if you all could have made that business, that business work. Mm-hmm. And if anybody out there would like to start their own business, um, then you can uh, go to NCBA. Dot co-op. That's National Cooperative Business Association dot co-op, and they can help with this education and figure out money. They have a group that they're associated with, uh, Cooperative Development Fund or Cooperative Development Foundation, I don't know, CDF dot co-op, and they help with, with these loans, but they're smaller loans that help you to get the education and knowledge you need to help start a business. So there are monies out there and people out there that help uh, help you to get started in your business. You know, we have a, a minute or two left. you have any last words that you want to tell people for this, this program? Yes. I think um, it's important for us to understand that what we're doing is a spiritual uh, process. You know, spirituality is caring for our fellow people. And so you're not only helping yourself, but you're helping the world. You are uh, doing God's work, so to speak. In helping, you know, co-ops can fulfill needs where there are, are no services. Like if you don't have child care, that's, that's something you can do. Okay, everybody. It's not only helping self, but you can also reach out and help the world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you have any contact information? Yes. Uh, go to geo.coop and uh, check out our articles, or you can email me at ifateo at gmail.com, I-F-A-T-E-Y-O at gmail.com. Thank you, Ifateo. It's a pleasure. We'll see you next Thursday. 1450 WOL.